Before we kick off, we need to quickly give you a fair warning. What's that, Sean? This pod might contain some naughty words. It's uncut, and since we're chatting with people in a relaxed and honest way, there's a chance. Yeah, there is a chance. This show's 99% clean, but every now and again, one of us gets excited and a word escapes our mouth, right? Exactly. So if you're listening to this on your morning school run, I'd switch to BA Brew for some business analysis chatter by the Assist KD crew. <laughs> Waxing lyrical there. But yeah, talking all things analysis over a nice cup of tea with a custard cream. Now that's a proper way to do a podcast. You're locked into 168FM and listening to Business Analysts on the Ground, the podcast that brings you dope conversations about everyday business analysis. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 9, with me, Joe. Me, Jean. And me, Mohammed. That's Mo, Mohammed Bray, enabler of business, problem solver, and part-time dictator. Mo says he doesn't believe in climbing the ladder to success when you can take the lift. One of the dopest guys around. Welcome to the show, Mo. Thanks. It's uh, good to be on your podcast. Uh, rather late than ever. Never late. Never late. It, it, it's, it's super to have you here. I mean, it really is. And um, like we always do on the show, we sort of start at the beginning with the beginning. So we want to hear a little bit about Mo Bray, please. Where did you grow up? What was education like for you? What are you up to in the moment? And how annoying is it having a name that's the same as a Cape Town suburb? <laughs> so, um, born and bred Cape Townian. Um, grew up in the suburbs of Weinberg. Uh, went to a local school uh, in, in Weinberg. Then... Uh, uh, headed off to uh, Weinberg Boys for high school, one of the first intakes of, um, you know, post-apartheid um, students that made for a uh, rather rough ride in the beginning. Uh, a lot of character shaping uh, that had to happen there. Um, <clears throat> lots of uh, tolerance had to be learned. Um, but it was an interesting ride. Um, definitely learned to grow a thicker skin and learned how to navigate the world uh, ahead. Uh, after that, um, you know, moved to the University of Cape Town. Uh, started out doing uh, accounts as my major. Um, that is simply because um, as the son of a Indian family. Uh, I only had three choices, an accountant, a doctor, or, or a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I did year one of accounting and um, came home, I think at the sort of the last semester of year one and um, walked in and said to my um, parents that actually, you know what, this is it's just not cut out for me. Um, I, I just can't do this. And um, all hell broke loose. Um, the family accountant was called into a meeting the next day to speak some sense into me. Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> to, uh, to which he said, you know, 
you know, we live in a new world now, you know, let the kid do what he's passionate about. Didn't really know what I was passionate about. I was just like, okay, uh, I've got to come up with something quick. <laughs> if you know, Get out of jail card. What's my buddies doing? Like, oh, what's this like, you know, IT and IS and, you know, information systems. They're like, okay, cool. Oh, they've got a computer lab. Great. How bad could that be, right? Yeah. So I did, um, uh, I did our information systems. Um, ended up absolutely loving it. Um, I really enjoyed my my time at uh, at university. You know, studying, doing the projects and the programs of work. Um, then, yeah, um, off I went into the into the corporate world. Um, how does it feel to be you know uh, uh, named after a suburb? Um, I'm not named after a suburb. The suburb's named after me. So let's get <laughs> okay. No, no, uh, nicely navigated. Point there. is expected. Yeah. Um, take us back. I mean, as you were saying that, uh, we, we've had lots of conversations, you and I, Mo, but but I don't think we've ever really talked about growing up. And and I, I feel like I could hear in your tone that that was that was a difficult time going to Weinberg Boys, was it? Like. Um, a lot of lessons learned, but, but also on many sides. Mm, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> we have general elections in 1994, April 1994. Uh, I go to high school in 1995. Um, you know, I come from a, you know, a, a school, a primary school that effectively could fit on one of the multiple rugby fields that were at the school. Uh, so that's that's perspective, right? Um, <clears throat> and uh, all of a sudden, you've got to, you know, navigate and negotiate your way from, you know, being, you know, years behind everybody else, and you know, don't really actually understand, um, you know, what what you have in front of you. You've got to really make sense of it. Um, <clears throat> but you quickly learn how to navigate things, and I think that's where I really learned, you know the skill of negotiating, you know, so um, I come from a different background, I come from a different culture, I come from a different religion, I come from a completely different space to where I was, you know, where I've come into. And all of a sudden, you've got to, you've got to not only learn yourself, what's this new world all about, being part of a new free, free South Africa, but you actually have to educate people around you about who you are, your background, your culture, your religion, um, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, how do you operate and how you don't operate. So lots of negotiating, lots of you know, um, sharing, lots of communicating, um, which like I said, you know, as difficult as it was, I think it probably shaped me into a better human being today. That's pretty yeah, cool. It's... Uh, it's it's yeah it's it's powerful stuff that um i think you know it was interesting um for me when you when you spoke about the the, the family meeting i want to say almost this uh, you know <laughs> intervention and uh, not entirely sure whether your parents thought it would it would go the way that it, it ended up going but uh but that sounds to have uh, to have been a pretty i want to say a key moment or like a a bit of a a bit of a change up um you look you look back at that with um, with fondness i guess is is it a case of you know you you learn to love the thing that you went into or was it a, a pure pure case of chance and you sort of just went with things 
yeah, it was a bit of both, you know. I think going into information systems, you 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 realize what you've got an act for, mm. and you know, as soon as you you know you you start the, the reality is I didn't even know that existed when I applied, right? Because I was like, okay. here's your application form, pre-filled <laughs> in with you know financial accounting, said as your major, right? So um, having learned about you know, gone to the faculty, got the information, found out what's going on, you know. We're talking about the early 2000s. Um, uh, it's the dot-com bubble. You know, everything's yeah. exploding. So everything's exciting all of a sudden, right? So that's mm. really great. Uh, the reality is, is that as of today, I probably spent more time, you know, um, uh, sifting through financials than I do actually <laughs> process diagrams. You know, yeah. um, I actually spend so more it's, time. It's not, it's not know, left you completely, right? <laughs> well, well, now in retrospect, I'm like, you know, shucks, I should have maybe carried financial accounting, maybe maybe a year or two more, um, because you know, uh, running businesses, the reality is it's it's about the bottom line, and you've got to make shareholders happy, and you've mm. got to make, you know, uh, uh, you've got to keep things ticking over, <clears throat> and yeah. you really got to know your numbers game. That's very um, true. Yeah, so yeah, uh, some of it, uh, you know, some of it is now coming back, um, and uh, sometimes to bite me. Uh, sometimes um, I'm just learning on the go, which, which makes for a very interesting life. Um, you're learning all the time. Yeah, it's 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 cool. It's a nice little segue as well. Uh, you, you're calling out, you know, business ownership and and being able to tick things over. So, um, you know, this this show is is about everyday analysis, everyday business. Um, and the, the theme for, for the season, at least for us, is lifestyle, right? So it's, a, it's sort of a, a look at the, I want to say the everyday touch points, the things that we almost take for granted that just keep happening around us. And, and we don't always necessarily see what goes on behind the scenes on that. Now, uh, you're in the forward motion industry, uh, if, if I can phrase it like that, right? Coffee and petrol. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and I was hoping you, you know, could you tell us a little bit about how that came about and, you know, what, what that looks like at the moment for you? Mm. So, you know, I was quite fortunate in, in, you know, uh, getting to exit, um, traditional corporate, um, work about three years ago, uh, where my wife and I um, took over, uh, the family business which was in the fuel, in the fuel industry, um, petrol stations. And um, <clears throat> in actual fact, I wasn't looking for it. Um, I was very much enjoying corporate life, being in consulting, um, really enjoying the work that I was doing. Um, but an opportunity came along and, um, you know, it, it was one of those pivotal moments where, you know, you always read about, you know, people busy with side hustles and, People talk about, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You know, you know, people talk about, you know, you've got to take these opportunities when you see them. And I'm going, okay, so, you know, here's something right in front of me. Um, do, I, do I just stick to the straight and narrow? Do I, you know, just do what I know I can do, uh, I can get by on? Um, or do I try and do something that is so far beyond my comfort zone? that, you know, this is going to either crash and burn or this is, you know, or I'm going to evolve into, you know, and, and do something really exciting. Um, so I took the road less traveled and I decided to, to join the family business. 
and my wife and I then, you know, effectively took took over the family business, um, which at that point was in the family for about 38, 39 years already. And due to life circumstances, you know, a, a family member, her dad being, you know, um, elderly and ill, um, really not able to really, you know, really take it forward any longer. And we, we decided to take it over. The great thing is, is that for the very first time in my life, I worked on a project where um, not only was I the, the, the worker working on the project, but the project was for myself. It's such a cool <laughs> story. That. Yeah. yeah I mean, what, what, what that happens, right? It doesn't happen. Stakeholder and the client at the same time. <laughs> yeah, as, as long as there's no internal conflict in your head there. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, it is a nice story. And, and for me, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed about it is, is after working in business analysis for so long, you know, in project management for so long, in business consulting, all of those years, and then, which has given you a perspective of business owners, and then boom, you're sort of, you know, transitioned onto the other side. So what, how did your perspective shift? I mean, all those years of sort of, was it a case of, ah, for all those years I thought I knew what they wanted and how they thought and how, and how wrong I was? <laughs> Absolutely, 100% that, right? So um, all of a sudden I had, you know, the shoe was now on the other foot. Um, I had, I didn't have responsibility. I had accountability, you know, so, you know, growing up in, you know, you climb corporate ladders and your responsibility increases, but your accountability doesn't really increase, right? At the end of the day, you get your check. At the end of the day, you know, somebody else has to deal with, you know, banks, finances, overdrafts, um, you know, legalities, you know, um, HR consultants, you know, things are not going smoothly. Uh, you know, you've got your, you've got your little box and you're protected in that little role or title. And, you know, things get said, oh, it's not part of my, not my part of my job description. Um, when you, when you are accountable for, you know, a business, um, there is no job description. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what I found hard putting on my form when you ask what you asked me to fill out, you know, what's my role, title, job description. Because it's anything and everything and whatever the business needs on any particular day. If I need to be a barista, I need to be a barista if somebody doesn't come into work. Yeah. Um, you know, if I need to be in the convenience store, you know, packing shelves because the merchandiser hasn't come in, I need to make sure that the store is looking good for customers to come in. Um, all the way to, you know, making financial decisions for the best interest of the business you know, meeting with financiers and bankers and lawyers and, you know, doing all of that. So in any one particular day, your your role can traverse from, you know, engaging an unhappy customer on the forecourt, you know, all the way to sitting in a, in a boardroom with, um, you know, uh, bankers around the table. Um, so, so who are you? What are you? Yeah. <laughs> you are whatever the business needs you to be. Yeah. So yeah, did life's perspective change? Uh, absolutely, you know, and you quickly realize why decisions get made in businesses. Um, and as an employee, um, you, you know, we always tend to go, you know, geez, you know, the, 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 the CEO, the MD, the head of department, just, you know, it's not looking at the bigger picture. 
the reality is is that employees don't have the real bigger picture. Yeah. Um, yeah and decisions get made. Decisions get made where, you know, it's not just a triple constraint. There are and, uh, numerous constraints you have to take into consideration on a daily basis. One, you're never going to please everybody. Um, you know, two, you've got to do what's best for the business. Um, and that's why I said, you know, in my, you know, in my introduction, I'm part-time dictator. Uh, it's not something that I want to be, but you quickly realize that um, when you're running a business, decisions need to be made. There is no time to sit around the table and think about things. Yeah. You know, you've got to make tough decisions. And nobody, and you then realize, you know, um, it's not easy to make decisions and not everybody wants to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, you've that's got to the do biggest it. burden. Oh, that's, that's super cool. Yeah, I, th I think I've heard a lot of people compare business ownership with either, um, you know, parenting or, or coaching. Um, and I think you summed it up nicely by saying you, you've got to be many things at many different times, right? Um, whatever is required at the moment, uh, you, you just, you, you fill that shoe. Um, something something that, uh, that I think you mentioned way earlier when we started out was, uh, was uh, you know, the, the sort of different things that you were exposed and it, it might actually have been before we officially hit record um, in terms of just, you know, business analysis, systems analysis, just, you know, the, the different industries and things that you've been in. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, from those days and, and from your days in consulting, if, if there's any of the, I want to say, like specific techniques or um, skills that you used, you know, it'd probably be a lot of them, but is there any one thing that stands out from your days in business analysis, um, whether it's, you know, a technique specifically or whether it's a skill set that, that, that's come, you know, to be really valuable for you, for you in, this, in this time as a, as a business owner? Yeah, you know, so uh, the first three months um, of taking over, you know, uh, these businesses or, and starting businesses is you know, you just spend an enormous time, while well, I spent an enormous time, just trying to understand how everything works, right? Whether it be through observation, whether it be through interviews, whether it be through um, just walking the floor and really getting a sense of, you know, what's cooking here, right? Um, <clears throat> and you start piecing the puzzle together you know you start putting these context diagrams together um, you start putting these mind maps together of how things work you know why are things being done who does what um, you know having a, a running a fuel station you know it's a highly regulated business um, you know from a from a you know, you know from a governance perspective and well, as well from a safety perspective you know we deal with safety on a daily basis so you've really got to understand why certain things are done um, why certain things are done in a painstakingly long way um, because you've got to check you know that everything's in place and that you know you're not putting anybody's life at, at, at risk so in the beginning I can I can clearly remember in actual fact I've, I've kept these diagrams um, where I just sat with you know these massive A3 pages filled with just lots of processes you know how does fuel come when do we order on what basis do we order um you know oh, what man, do you do so cool. you know when suppliers come in you know what's the supply value chain um and you start building out and then all of a sudden these these pictures you know which start out to be just uh, lots and lots of information on a page you start <laughs> sifting through and you start building these value chains 
Um, and then the other thing that I did was, you know, uh, I always believe that, you know, data never lies. So went to the, you know, the, the financial systems, went to the administration systems, the back office systems, and just started doing massive amounts of data dump. Um, started sorting through data, what works, what doesn't work, you know, what trends can you pick up, what, you know, especially on a convenience store, you know, what products are selling, what products are not selling, um, yeah. you know, why do, you know, more products sell in a particular range than others, and just spend hours just trolling through the data, just using good old data analysis. Um, <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a, you got to, quite to figure a out what works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's brought it to life. I was going to say, you know, I've, I've asked myself a couple of times if, if I wasn't doing this, what the hell else would I do? But it, it seems, well, uh, you know, I could at least go and, uh, and go into retail business if, if need be. That's, if uh, needs be, yeah. It's good to know it's, it's useful stuff outside of just the corporate space. <laughs> I, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, what, what I'm being uh, reminded of is the phrase, once a business analyst, always a business analyst, right? It just sort of, you know, it stays in your veins. Um, it, it sort of proves useful wherever it is that you go. And, and, and I'm, I'm imagining now, Mo, I'm imagining this poor little family business. Um, what did you say? 29 years it had been in the hands of your father-in-law and suddenly this consultant arrives with these, with these big sheets of A3 paper, you know, and all these scribbles and drawings. How did the people respond to this? And I mean, you must have brought an enormous amount of real change to how they work and how they do their jobs. As you know, you, you talked about roles, people in the forecourt, people in the shop, people behind the scenes who we don't see, uh, safety, responsible people. I mean, how did this go down with them? Was it, was it like difficult to embed this or were they quite embracing of it all? Uh, it started out as quite a difficult journey because, you know, the one amazing thing about the family business is is that you know it, it's been a family business and a community business for for at that time you know 38 39 years um and it was one of those places where you know you, it was a place where you know wherever you went whenever you went everybody knew your name right and everybody knew everybody and everybody did things the way you know it was always done it was a case of you know i did this for the last 10 plus years you know staff retention was really high because you know there was always a case of, you know, uh, you know, we look after our family, we look after our staff. Um, and um, so, yeah, I come along, you know, and bring, you know, you know, it was a typical case of, you know, you know, bringing, you know, clinical corporate approach to this business. But, you know, certain things had to be done because the, 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 the whole vision was, how do we now take this business to the next level? How do we ensure that it can survive the next 10 years, the next 15 years, the next 20 years? Because um, if there's one thing that I learned in life is that, you know, what got you to a point is not what's going to get you to the next point. You've got to continuously ask yourself, are you doing the right thing? You know? Um, and anyway, I come along and I start, you know, interviewing people and, you know, asking them what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, it's something they haven't experienced before. Um, you know, ensuring, asking people, what do they do? What do they like? What don't they like? You know, and asking their opinion of things. Um, you know, at first it was a case of, you know, why are you asking me this? Is my job on the line? 
you know. Um, and it was actually just a case of me wanting to go, well, how do you do what you do and what works? And, and actually, I'm really interested to know, you know, what any, do you have any good ideas? And, you know, in a simple, in a, in a simple I'll give you a simple example. Um, you know, one of our back office stuff. So in a forecourt, you know, we deal with a lot of coins, change. Um, and, um, you know, they were counting these coins by hand. And um, I, I did an exercise, a process exercise. And I said, well, you know, for, for the week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to evaluate how much time it takes you counting coins every day. And I think it ended up being like, you know, a total amount of about eight hours for a, in, in a particular week of literally counting coins. That's wow, how much coins day. come through the business. You can see an entire day over a week. Wow. You know, but obviously it's done at different times throughout the day. Yeah, 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 sure. You know, and, uh, and then I, I said, okay, so, you know, what's your, what's your salary? Um, worked out, okay, so this is, you know, what we pay you. This is what you do as a menial task. Um, let's see how we can improve this. But surely you don't want to spend eight hours a week counting coins, right? So that, that can't be right. And I'm sure that every packet has probably got some finger in it. So we're not even getting the right number anyway. Um, let's see what a, what a coin counter costs. You know, it's a couple of thousand rand to buy a, a coin counter. Um, you know, and the coin counter paid itself off within two months. So we bought a coin counter and now all they do is to put coins in the coin counter. And, you know, I think they spend, you know, an hour or two max per week, you know, counting the machine counts the coins, right? So that. we've effectively freed up a day a week of somebody's life. Yeah, where they can do something more positive. Plus benefit analysis. Yeah, Absolutely. so simple. So now, so now that particular staff member's got more time to do more value-adding work. Which is probably fulfilling them more, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. People in business. You know, yeah. And again, it comes down to, you know, looking at various other processes, you know, capturing of invoices. You know, we've got lots of suppliers. We're buying in lots of stuff. Lots of invoices are coming in. Lots of manual typing. Lots of manual errors. Stuff, your reports are never accurate which creates an issue on your, on your income statement, you know, with the cost of sales, it creates an, an issue with your stock holding on your balance sheet. So again, coming back to my, you know, my um, very thorough finance background, um, you know, winging it for many years. Um, I really should have done that degree in finance, um, you know, realizing that, you know, we're losing margins um, because of, you know, uh, inaccuracies. So, okay, so what's the next best thing? Well, let's go and have a look at, you know, are there, any, are there any, you know, solutions in the market that can automatically capture invoices? And lo and behold, there was. So put in some automation, you know, um, invoices, you know, now get, you know, orders get placed. The order goes into an, uh, a, a system that then, you know, pulls it into the, into the back office system with absolutely no finger typing. Um, all the numbers are correct. Everything is validated. And again, a couple of hours a week is saved by capturing invoices. So yeah. to improve your margins, you have to make the investment, but the margins improve, so it pays itself off. Yeah, that, that, In my mind's eye, I can just see a couple of, uh, couple of uh, petrol, petrol station owners um, scrambling <laughs> after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Jaffa's Motors, watch out. Um, 
and you know it, it, the more i listen to you the more what i just said about that you know once a business analyst always a business analyst you, you sort of every word that you say seems to cement that really and i mean on that note as well i, I, I let's talk about i mean we're talking about some stuff that's very current that you're doing right now but also you made the decision to get back into consulting as well haven't you, you sort of took some time so so not only did you take this time to get out of corporate as you say sort of experience growing a business um we haven't talked much about the coffee so but you put a coffee shop into that petrol station as well because you saw that there was sort of more opportunity and and other markets you could serve and in all of this you sort of took some time to figure out what you wanted to do and you went through quite an interesting branding exercise didn't you Mm. Absolutely. So about sort of two and a bit years into the journey, um, things started to really sort of settle down in terms of processes, people, culture, um, systems in place, you know, which effectively freed me up, um, you know, to to start, you know, thinking about, you know, well, what's next? Um, You know, one of my one of my mentors um, in in corporate. Somebody that you know, uh, Joe knows well as well is Roland Am. Um, he he often said, you know, he coached me quite a long time and said to me, you know, uh, you know, whenever you start a project, you know, the first thing you do is you you think about your exit strategy, you know. And I was like, how does this even work? You know, like I've just started the project, I need to be like the person that they call upon. Um, and in actual fact, he said, no, you've got to work yourself out of the job. Uh, because that way, you know, um, you, you do, you, one, you're going to always push yourself to do good work, but then you'll never be stuck. You'll always mm. work towards making sure that you hand over and train other people. You'll always uplift other people to take over your role so that you can be freed up to do the next best thing. Um, and, and that's exactly what I did here, coming in and going, well, you know, how do I groom the people? How do I grow the organization? How do I put process in place to free me up to do other things? And that point came along and then I said, well, you know, the one thing that I really missed about corporate, apart from filling in timesheets, is um, really, (laughs) you know, is really, you know, just engaging with, with, you know, peers, engaging with people that, you know, speak the same language, understand, you know, the, 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 the whole consulting environment. Because consulting is also quite a thrill, you know, you've got to walk in. You've got to go into a, a program. Typically, consultants really only go in where programs of work or projects are really difficult, mm. or there's a fire, or there's a crisis of some sort, right? Um, nobody okay. needs a cons. Yeah, exactly, right. So, <laughs> so, and that's um, and that's a thrill, right? So that's a bit of a thrill. Uh, it's a bit of an adventure to go in and solve a problem. You know, solve a real problem. You know, move an organization forward, move a department forward. You know take a problem away, whatever it might be. And I was really going, mm. I miss that. Um, yeah. I miss applying that consulting skills. And then I went through, and then I was like, but hang on, you know, I've changed so much in the last two and a half years. Mm. Um, you know, who am I now? And then I, I decided to engage with a career coach. Uh, did a little bit, ended up being a little bit more, you know, counseling than career coaching. Um, <laughs> because at the end of the day, you know, you are the same person, you know, yeah. Um, and it was about who am I? And the, and, the, and the interesting thing that came out of it is, is that, you know, I've, 
I've potentially got a good set of skills where I've got, you know, years of consulting experience, a very short space of owning and running businesses. Um, you know, so how do we merge that two? So, you know, I've effectively got both sides of the fence, you know, the, the analysis side and then the actual implementation execution side of, of doing things. Mm-hmm. So the business and the analysis, not just business analysis from a skills perspective, but actually mm-hmm. business from running a business perspective. So we try to craft and, 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 and identify. So what is this, you know, what's the merging of the two skill sets is that it's actually, you know, it, it's being a project manager, a program manager and a business analyst with true conviction. Okay. And not actually That's making things up going, you know, well, you know, this is how you should run your business when, you know, a consultant who's telling you that has never actually run a business. Yeah, it just and, sort of um, makes the advice can, a little hollow, I guess, in the ears of the owner, doesn't it, many times? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, Joe, I think I've spoken to you about this, where I've said, you know, I've actually regretted a couple of decisions, you know, in my consulting days, where I realized I actually just, I thought I knew stuff. <laughs> I absolutely didn't. Um, you know, it was, it, it was textbook knowledge. Um, Whereas now, you know, we, we uh, you know, my, my frame of reference, my point of reference is I can feel your pain. I, I understand that, you know, a delay in your business, I understand that a backlog in your business is causing your financial pain. And in actual fact, I can probably picture, I can picture it somewhere on your financial statement. I know where it is on your financial statement and I know what the pain is. Um, so you start having a little bit more um, authentic conversation, which then makes me, uh, you know, somebody helping somebody else's business really try and solve the problems for them because I wouldn't want that problems in my business. Yeah. Yeah. That, no. that empathy makes things real, right? It, it touches, it touches, uh, it touches on the skin, um, which, which makes a difference. Yeah. No, and that's it, cool. And and it's nice to have you back in the consulting scene. You know, um, I think we, we've missed you as much as you've missed it. So you know that, that that's going to be be fun to to hear and see more of in the future. And um, we sort of just I just want to sort of take a step to the left a bit uh, in this. Um, I think we, we we've heard a lot. We've heard that you're a busy man, right? I mean, that's sort of where this is, is where this is at. And and we probably haven't covered the half of it as well because we haven't talked about the wife and the children and the school runs and the extracurricular um, gymnasium activities and all of that stuff that happens. And so you're running two businesses because you've got the garage, you've got the coffee shop. There's another coffee shop as well. Uh, you're, you're consulting as well, putting in uh, big applications for big companies how do you balance this? Um, how does that work? How do you handle the pressure? How do you soak that up and, and not allow it to become something that pulls you down? Um, so, so the reality of that is, you know, I, I recently, uh, not recently, I think last year I published an article around, you know, um, the freedom of entrepreneurship, you know, myth or reality. Um, and I gave a talk on this um, to a sort of a, a sort of a business forum, um, you know, and, you know, you, you, you see, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, living the Instagram life, you know, 
buying cars and watches and going on fancy holidays. Yeah, being an entrepreneur is absolutely nothing like that. Guy. Um, your weekends are spent, you know, um, really reflecting on your business, thinking about the next week, um, you know, looking through financials, you know, understanding, you know, what went wrong and how, how do you go forward? Your days are just absolutely full with, you know, either, you know, problem solving, putting out fires, you know, dealing with the next crisis, and then also trying to think about what's the next step to really grow your business. Um, but, you know, coming back to Joe's question about how do you, in my personal capacity, how do I manage all of this? It's, it's come down to that, you know, realizing that you can't do it all, right? You have to empower people in your organization to run the core components of your business. If you are central to every single thing um, and you don't empower people, there's absolutely no way that you'll have any capacity to do anything else. So a large part of my first two years in taking over the businesses and starting some new businesses was ensuring that the people I bring on board and the people I, I inherited and, and, and work with now um, were truly empowered, right? So yeah, even going to the point of, you know, sending my managers on, on, on coaching, um, something they've never experienced before. You know, they were typically, you know, back office admin staff and going, you know, well, actually, you know what, we need to unlock you. You know, what is your career path? What's your coaching? Yeah. Well, what's your style? What's your leadership style? What's your management style? Let's, let's, work, let's work on this. Let's focus on this. Um, and, and growing the people so that they could make decisions. And then obviously you set clear boundaries to go, these are the decisions you can make. And when it gets to this point, you have to call me in and I can help you make, you know, big and broader decisions. So it's really about the people around you. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's amazing. I think it's, it's cool how you speak about empowering people. Um, I, I mean, I've, uh, I've had the privilege uh, to see you speak a number of times uh, when it was, you know, still deep in the, in the BA days. And, uh, and the thing that I think that's always, always struck me about you is, is your presence. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think you can see when someone has been forged by life, if I might call it that. Um, it, it speaks to sort of how you carry yourself. And, uh, and you know, we've, we've spoken a lot about, I want to say, potentially not struggles, but hard graft. But, but it, it definitely sounds like it's been successful. Um, uh, I'm just wondering, you know, if, if you had any failures or perceived failures, maybe in either, you know, the recent, recent time or, or even, you know, a couple of years back that's, that's molded you and, and, and taught you some, some lessons that, that you look on today and go, hell, you know, this, this is actually the thing that that's made all of this possible. Absolutely. Um, it would be, a uh, you just cannot, you know, go through life and learn and grow without there being, you know, point of, points of learning, uh, failures, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, very much in, in consulting days, you know, um, working on projects, you know, I think the big, the big lessons I've learned looking back now is just how much more time I should have spent talking to people engaging with the people instead of the processes, you know, really trying to understand what the pain points were, what the challenges were, 
how it truly affects them. You know, we spend so much of our lives at work. Um, you know, if you are putting in solutions, if you're putting in systems that is not making life better for the people, you know, um, it's never going to work for the organization. Um, it can't just be about, you know, um, clinical efficiency. It has to be about, you know, supporting, empowering, and, and, and really working with the people that in that organization. So I think, you know, um, I, I guess one of the things about business analysis is we've got all these tools and techniques and we, we do all these amazing things on paper and we've got uh, lots of, of, of tools. Um, but, in, but the reality is, is that perhaps we should shift our focus to being a little bit more people focused as well really trying to understand, you know, what it is they do, why they do it, why it's important, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, having more focus on processes and technology and systems. Um, you can have all the processes, you can have all the systems in the world. Uh, at the end of the day, it's there to make people's lives easier and better. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like perhaps I lost focus about on that, you know. Mm. Um, and, and currently, you know, being in a, in a, in a, you know, entrepreneurial role um, with, with businesses, with, you know, lots of staff, big staff complement, um, you, you're making decisions for the business with information that you have at your fingertips with time that you don't have. Um, and you never, you know, you're never going to please everybody. So, you know, you, you have to make a decision and making a decision is better than no decision. Um, I think we've all been in situations where we, we wanted our organizations to make a decision and they've stalled in it because they're trying to find the perfect solution. Um, you know, that comes with, that comes with the territory. You've got to make a decision, learn from it, get empirical evidence and go, you know, it sort of, it worked great. You know, sure. That, that worked. It worked 70%. Okay. That's better than no percent. Yeah. Um, and you know, you learn 30%. Yeah. So the, on a weekly basis, there's, you know, there's decisions that you look back on and you go, oh, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I should have, you know, done the following. But it's, it's, a, it's a constant case of being aware that you will make the wrong call. And, and it's not about it being the wrong call. It's about you made a call and how can I learn from it? Yeah. Um, and if you set that expectation and you create that and you create a culture of make a call, make a decision, do something. Yeah. You know what? If it doesn't work, it's better that you tried and did something than not doing it. Doing nothing. Yeah. And just yeah. being stuck in place. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's such good advice. I think we can often, I think, especially as, as, as analysis practitioners, you know, people that are into the details and that sort of thing, I think we can often get stuck in our, our own heads and, you know, in, like you said, in the process or the paper or the whatever. And, and we sometimes sort of keep spinning on something instead of just moving forward. You know, it's, it's much, much easier, I guess, to, to, to maintain that forward motion. If you, if you make quicker and smaller decisions and, and like you said, learn from it and, yeah. uh, and to speak to, to the point of the people, I, I can't remember who said this. I, it's just come up in my mind. I, I think someone made this comment once, you know, it's like, Hey, uh, someone's got 50 years of experience or, you know, all of the certifications and the badges, but the, the real question is, can you speak to people? And, uh, and I, and I think you've, you've, you know, you've hit the, the nail on, on the head with, um, with that comment there, because eventually, regardless of what business or what, what sort of thing you're into, um, people make that tick over, right? 
And, yeah. uh, and if you can't work yeah. with the people and you can't work for the people, then, then you will have a tough life. Yeah. I echo that. I echo that. And I, I enjoyed what you said. Um, you know, just, uh, just around people, it is always overlooked. You know, we overlook people for process. We overlook people for it. Um, and I think that we often forget that the decisions we make and the things we do impact the people. And if, and if they're not, if they're not happy, you know, if they're not motivated, if they're not inspired or rewarded or recognized, it's, it's those moments where things slow down, mistakes get made and, and, um, you know, it just doesn't go as well. So people do really make organizations go round and, I enjoyed what you said about the decision making to make a decision and, I, and, and a question for you here. So, you know, as one of you two just said now about, you know, as BAs, we, we can be going round in our heads. And I often feel that perhaps we have this expectation that we've got to make the perfect decision. And that's why it goes round and round in our head, because we don't want it to be wrong. We don't want it to fail. We don't want any edge of it to be rough. So. As a business owner, Mo, you, you, you have that luxury where you, you can make a mistake and the only knuckles you're going to wrap are your own, right? So if people who, who work for you, who make decisions on your behalf, make mistakes, what happens then? Is that okay? Is it not okay? Is it a coaching opportunity? How, how, how do you tackle that? It always comes down to a conversation, right? So what was the, you know, again, you know, in, 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 in the forecourt world, in the petrol station world, you know, we work with, we work in very, you know, black and white boxes, right? You've got to follow a particular formula and a process. So decisions are quite, once you know what to do, decisions are quite easy to make. But at the end of the day, the decisions, the, the conversations we're typically having there is the things you can't control. Um, and that's always around customers and customer experience, customer expectation. Mm. Um, and sometimes we get it right and sometimes our frontline staff get it wrong. You know, the way they've managed the customer, the way they've handled the situation, you know, an upset, uh, an upset customer. Um, you know, that's really where the, 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 the coaching comes in, you know, and the decisions that get made. Um, you know, it's better to, you know, ensure that the customer is absolutely completely heard without responding, you know, even if, you know, we always, we, we believe that, you know, customers King now being, yeah. being a business that is a hundred percent customer orientated and focused, I can tell you for the fact that the customer thinks that they King and they often make mistakes, but that's okay. <laughs> we don't tell them that. You know, um, they would, you know, tell you that they, you know, that the petrol didn't go into their car and we've got all the evidence that the petrol did go into their car. Um, but if they feel that the petrol didn't go into their car, you know, that's, that, that's how they feel. It's yeah. not about the facts at that point in time. So we coach our staff and we coach our frontline yeah. staff that it's not about the logical fact that the petrol went, you know, didn't go in. It's about how you make them feel. Yeah, they just mean that uh, they didn't get as much for their money as they think they should, right? You know, price has <laughs> gone up. Prices have gone up and, and, uh, and that happens, right? 
So, so we, we, we are frontline staff and our, and our, and our, and our, and our managers go, you know, a lot of the coaching happens on how they engage with customers, you know, was it the best way, you know, did they manage the expectations? Well, um, you know, do we, are we serving the products correctly? And I'll give you an absolutely real example that happened, um, uh, yesterday in my VDE cafe at our service station. Um, a complaint was laid that, you know, um, the customer felt that um, our staff wasn't smiling enough for them. Oh, wow. Um, she's, the, the feedback was really happy with the coffee, really happy with the product, felt that the staff member didn't smile enough, you know, and then we broke it down and we realized, but actually, you know, all of our staff currently are wearing masks. So you know, life at the moment with a mask is not very easy. Sitting, you know, all our frontline staff have to wear, wear a mask the entire day, the entire shift. That's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. So, so while our product serving was good, you know, our speed of service was good. The actual delivered coffee was correct. You know, the customer just wanted a happy smiling face. Way. Yeah. You know, it's, often, um, it's but, often about the experience, right? It's uh, like, like, like you said earlier, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what so, the facts are. It's about how the customer interprets that or how they feel about that in, its, in the specific moment. So yesterday I issued a, a, a memo to the team, you know, talking, talking to them about the concept of smiling with your eyes. Nice. You know, yeah. we, have to, <laughs> we have to change that. You know, the customer yeah. came in and expected a particular experience from you know the local barista and she didn't get it um and literally laid a formal complaint wow. so, so you've uh, you've heard it here first both uh, apt business advice and uh, for those still in the dating scene smile with your eyes <laughs> smile with your eyes <laughs> oh that's it's such such good good stuff um i want to i want to i want to change gears a, a bit of a you know bit of a second year and, and, and dig into something. So Mo, you, you're definitely a guy that's, uh, that's passionate about things and, and you seem to have a variety of uh, interests. Um, you know, we've, we've got this little thing on the, on the show. Uh, it's a bit of a tradition called the seeded question. And uh, basically how it works is one of our previous guests pays it forward by asking a specific question. And uh, it, it's pretty interesting this because uh, as you were speaking about your different experiences and the different industries and you've been, this is sort of a question that stuck with me. And it's great to see that uh, our friend Ollie Wills has, uh, has paid this forward and is, is pretty lined up with, uh, with what I was thinking. Uh, Ollie asked, what makes Mowbray get up in the morning? What makes you get up every day? to make a significant and positive impact in the environment that I find myself in. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. So it's about making a positive difference to the world around you every single day, right? Absolutely. Well, we need more of that in the world. We do. Uh, and you see a great number of people in the day as well, Mo, you know, you've got, you've got a, you've got business where, your, your interactions with people are very short-lived. Um, and as you say, it's service. So if you can, uh, if you can give them some uh, smiling eyes to let them go through their day, remembering, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hopefully going to touch them in the right, 
in the right way. And, and that's sort of, um, while we're on the subjects of customers, as, as Jean said, we're sort of just switching gears a little bit here. Now, I asked this question, uh, and you can have a, a, a sort of ask it perhaps from a consulting perspective, but also perhaps from a retail perspective. I, I'll leave it up to you. But what is the most ridiculous thing that you've ever been asked for by a client or a customer? Yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, it comes down to that, you know, point of, you know, the price of fuel is just getting, <laughs> it's climbing. We, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, you know, when they say, you know, life is really unfair when we in lockdown and it's the cheapest petrol has ever been since 2016. Right? <laughs> so got, yeah, so, so true. We've, we've, got, we've got the cheapest petrol, but nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, before, you know, the current lockdown situation, you know, petrol was really at, at record levels in terms of how expensive it was. And, you know, just how adamant, you know, customers are that, you know, the, 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 their money's just not buying them the same amount of petrol it did a month or two ago. And, you know, spending half an hour, 45 minutes, absolutely arguing that, you know, the petrol attendant is stealing the petrol, oh, um, wow. reviewing footage, <laughs> um, you oh. know, showing them pump calibration certificates, um, you know, telling them that we get audited <laughs> and signed off from an oil co perspective. Wow. And, um, you know, and, and then they, you know, literally doing fuel calculations going, you know, you know, if this is the price of petrol and this is how much it costs per liter, and if you only put in X rands, this is how much fuel will go in your car. <laughs> you yeah. yeah. And, and uh, it must be difficult because, um, mm. I mean, your, 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 your petrol station is located in a particular area, right? And livelihood's a big thing. And, and as much as petrol goes up, the cost of their service hasn't gone up. So they're just finding their pockets squeezed, I guess. I mean, is that sort of, that is that what's underneath their pain here and their, and their, sort of, I guess, prayer to you that something's gone wrong. Absolutely. You know, everything is being squeezed. Um, you know, we just a business where you can still voice your concern, you know, mm. um, you know, utilities are going up, but there's nobody to speak to. You can call the call center, you know, uh, there's nothing they can do. Um, and we often, yeah. And, and we often find that, you know, many customers, um, you know, depending on the mood is how, you know, the reactions on the forecourt. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting how, how people, you know, um, build a relationship with a particular fuel station, you know, mm. the, the petrol attendants, the, for, the, you know, service champions, you know, the convenience store, um, cashes and, um, our staff would tell us, you know, exactly who was in a good mood, who was in a bad mood, who, you know, who had a fight with his spouse <laughs> the night before, um, you know, just what's cooking and, and, and their reactions. Um, and they, they, they seem to think that, you know, you know, if they're going to complain, you know, we're, we're a ripe candidate to come and lay yeah. some complaint. <laughs> it's, it's an easy place to have a conversation. It's interesting that, that, you, that you say it because uh, I've always found myself, I've got, I've got 
really good relationships with the places where I put my fuel in. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's, I guess you, you see the, the petrol attendants and things quite a lot. Um, but even, you know, we've been in Cape Town for a couple of years now and, and I actually still keep in touch with, um, you know, some of the attendants from the, 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 the previous place where we lived. Um, so it's, it's interesting that because it almost becomes a, a bit of a friend. And I guess when you travel, when you travel a lot and, you know, you fill up your car loads, then, then that's the person that you actually see quite a lot. Um, so, so it's pretty interesting. Listen, we, uh, we, we're moving into the, uh, not that none of the other things have been fun, but we're moving into uh, the bit of the more peculiar side of, um, of this pod. And, uh, peculiar. and we've got this uh, thing called the quick fire nine. So it's uh, it's pretty simple. I'll explain the rules. Um, you, you absolutely have to pick one, right? So we, we ask you a, a couple of uh, quick-fire questions, um, nine of them to be exact, and you, you can't, uh, right? There's no pass, there's no uh, alternative answer. You just have to absolutely stick to your guns and choose one or the other. Uh, try and answer as quickly as possible and um, see where we land. You ready? Cool. Oh. Awesome. All right, let's get going. Straight shot or double cappuccino? Straight shot. Say sorry or ask for permission. Sorry. <laughs> Red chili pepper or green chili pepper? Red. Business owner or business enabler? Owner. Big entrance or behind the scenes? Always big. Go big or go home. <laughs> Round peg or square hole? Square hole. 80 or 20? 20. Coffee or petrol? Coffee. Arsenal or Liverpool? No comment. You have <laughs> to pick, pick one. one. Arsenal. Yeah. Damn it. I think I've lost the season 6-3, Mo. Thank you very much. Uh, I was convinced Joe had chosen, uh, chosen our podcast guests quite consider with, with quite, you know, astuteness in terms of their um, allegiance on the football scene, but uh, he seems to have been very well mistaken. Yeah, no, very well. So, so we had a little thread that ran through the series, Mo, where we just had th that, that question was a staple question and it just stayed in and then we, we tallied up the results at the end. But I must say, I don't think that the result is really a show for the love of Arsenal. It's more a show of the hate for Liverpool, I think. So I'll take consolidation in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right but um that actually uh, uh pretty much brings us to a close apart from uh, i think one last thing we need to do uh, and this is the season finale so we need to ask you for a, your seated question for uh whoever our guest is in um episode one of season two which we are far from planning at this stage so i can't normally i could tell you who the question is for but at this point in time i'm, uh, I'm unable but we certainly need to to pass the baton from this season to the next so what question have you got for for, for the next person who braves this pod hmm, i think my question stems from around um you know let's keep it people-centric 
um, you know, so my question would be, you know, what are your biggest learnings about yourself and how is that making you a better human being? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a tough one. (laughs) Started nice and deep. (laughs) You're definitely setting us up for a big start. Big start, yeah. But it's it's the sort of question I guess we should all ponder. And I think um, throughout this, one of the things that has come through, there really has been a thread of people. There really has been a, a thread of looking after the people and understanding them to be people. And humanity certainly came through. So, one uh, one one question I'd like to ask, you know, if uh, if people wanna if people wanna get in touch with you, Mo, or they wanna reach out, mm-hmm. you know, they wanna they want to look up the Mowbray on the, on the interwebs. Uh, is there anywhere specific they can, uh, they can go? Um, my LinkedIn profile is there. I think I do share my, my contact details, but if anybody does uh, want to make contact, I'm happy for you to share details if needs be. Awesome. We'll stick those in our show notes. For those of you looking on LinkedIn, that's Mohammed Bray. And, um, but uh, we'll put some in the show notes so you guys can get in touch. I just, I just need to say thank you now, Mo. Um, thank yeah. you for braving the pod. Thanks for coming on board. Thanks for doing your best with our random, peculiar questions. Um, we, we've, I've enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me on your pod. Uh, it's really been, a, it's been an exciting uh, uh, couple of minutes spending some time with you. And uh, yeah, I really absolutely enjoyed it. So it's been an absolute blast. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a small reunion from back in the days. It's, uh, it's so good to see you and yeah, just Absolutely. have a chat to you again, Mo. It's, it's been really dope. And uh, we just yeah, really appreciate your you, time and, and your insight. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been really good. Fantastic. We, once uh, things get a little bit easier, let's connect for coffee. Let's yeah, connect for like coffee. And I uh, just want to say, Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. We're going to cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, please pass the pod via Twitter, Instagram, or even sticky notes under the table in a review meeting. Yeah, look, whatever your weapon of choice, Tag us with 168FM. That's the words 1, 6, and 8, not the numbers. You can also leave us a comment on the blog, 168.fm. We'd love to hear what you think. We would. Comments are gold. But that's it for now. This episode is a wrap. Until the next time, Jean, do you want the last word? Word. And I, I just talked and it was question time and this, this,
chap here just sticks up his hands and asks the most difficult question of me, like, you know, tell me, <laughs> tell me about your darkest moment in your career, Joe. You know, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he was, was having it easy, right? People were asking him things that are really simple for him to answer, so I had to make him work a bit, right? 